0: Michael, I know that we've been getting in the mode of doing some episodes on some current topics and weaving in some interviews to those as well, but wanted to take a little bit of a diversion this week uh, to open up about something, something that's kind of been eating at me these past few weeks.
1: Okay, yeah, well, let's talk things out. Is something wrong?
0: Uh yeah, I mean, kind of. There's one aspect of my life where, I don't know, have not been myself. Okay,
1: Um. well, what area of your life are you referring to there?
0: Well, if I'm being honest, it's
1: fantasy football. It just has not been a great year for me, Michael. <laughs> fantasy. Okay, you had me actually worried. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a big deal for
1: me. I'm, I'm not. I'm not lying <laughs> here. But.
0: Yeah, it's fantasy football.
1: Not a good year. I know it's been one of your guilty pleasures, right? Honestly, for as long as I have known you, you've been deep in this. And actually, this year, I've been getting into a bit as well. It's the first year I've actually played. And, uh... okay, so tell me what's going on. This is not your year? I mean, hey, it isn't,
0: but I still have fun with it. And, and you know, it's possible that I can turn things around for, for the future, <laughs> for future years.
1: Okay, so what we're going to do is... We're gonna turn this into a fantasy football podcast this week is that right
0: (laughs) not exactly not exactly but i was thinking
1: that we could talk about the business of fantasy sports which is
0: actually quite big and there are some major tech players in the space as well so i thought we could take a little bit of diversion but one that's still relevant to our friends in tech what do you think about
1: that i'm game for it so yeah let's do it the business of fantasy sports the tech behind fantasy sports today here on rocketship.fm Right after we roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm.
0: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your
1: hosts, Michael Saka, and I'm Mike Belcito.
0: As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI.
1: just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocket FM 24. That's pork porkbun, P O R K B U N dot com forward slash rocket FM 24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group cohort. Join us, go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, fantasy
0: sports. Yes, fantasy sports. It's essentially a game, you know, no matter what sport. You pick your players based on how they perform on the field or the court. You get points, usually face an opponent, but there's different formats. And whatever the case might be, the team with the most points wins. And you draft these players every year, right? Well, yes. At least that's how the classic fantasy sports league that many are used to, uh, that's how that goes, right? Um, That's known in the industry as what's called a redraft league. Every year, you have a different team and redraft your own
1: players. Ah, so is that like what they do on that TV show? What is it? Uh, it's a little old now, but the, the League, right? Yeah, The League was a classic one. Yeah, it, I
0: think they should remake that, honestly. It was a good show, but um, but yes, that's exactly right. Just like
2: this. All right, let's pick the draft order and get let's things going. do it. Really,
3: this is what you have prepared. Names out of a hat. I'm not here to entertain you guys. This is about winning this year. I'm streamlining the process. And besides, this isn't a hat. This is a... It's a Cobra box that I brought back from India. The country.
0: So, yes, you could determine the order of your fantasy football draft in many ways. One of them being... Picking names out of a Cobra box. Uh, anyway, there's all sorts of styles of play. Uh, there's Dynasty. That's where you keep all your players every single year. The fantasy draft that everybody looks forward to,
1: it consists mostly of rookies, like a real professional sports draft would. And what about these apps? Like, was it DraftKings, FanDuel? Yeah. I mean, those
0: are some of the hottest companies that have gotten into fantasy sports. Uh, one of the hottest formats, DFS. Daily fantasy sports, those companies made that format really popular. And these are leagues where basically you're only committing to that particular week. You're allotted a budget, a fake budget, but you often pay real money. Um, and anyway, you spend that budget on any combination of players that you like, so long as you stay within that budget. That style of play, it's become really, really popular just these last few years, I'd say. And again, companies like FanDuel, DraftKings, Many others, they've kind of exploded onto the scene and platforms like those two, they've really made fantasy sports a multi-billion dollar market covering all types of sports. And there's been major investments fueled by
1: media companies like Comcast, even 21st Century Fox. And of course, while fantasy football is the most popular game to play, there's fantasy baseball, fantasy hockey, fantasy golf, which I honestly didn't know was a thing until very recently.
0: Yeah. You know, there's
1: all sorts of sports. The list really goes on and on when it comes to fantasy. So we said the business of fantasy sports. How are People making money on this? Well, okay,
0: it sort of depends on the format and the platform, right? Those big platforms I mentioned, like DraftKings, FanDuel, they take a rake or essentially a cut of the action every time a game is played on the platform. There are also software platforms that charge fantasy commissioners to manage their leagues on their systems. Essentially, they're just software companies and you pay for the software to run your league on it. And then, of course, there's another group of people that makes a lot of money from fantasy sports. Okay. And that is the players, <laughs> right? It's common for individual players to contribute a certain amount, sometimes it could just be a few dollars. Sometimes, as we'll learn in this episode, it could be a lot more, with the champion of the league taking home the pot. And even though most people, I would say, just kind of play for fun, it's Not uncommon for players to be motivated by that big prize pot. And, like, what kind of prize pots are we talking
1: about? How big?
0: Well, okay, there's sort of the standard home league that a lot of people play in. Um, That's what most people are used to, right? The kind of league where you're playing with your buddies. Maybe you're running your team on Yahoo or ESPN. Each person kicks in, I don't know, 20 bucks or something like that. And maybe the winner gets $100. Second prize gets something. You know, that's pretty much the standard. But... Okay, there's a but. Yes. But they have what's called high stakes leagues. These are leagues where there can be a lot more on the line. An entry might start at low as like $350. Like one high stakes league I play in. But the prizes, even for that amount of money, they get
1: crazy, a lot crazier than you might think. Okay, like thousands, tens of thousands.
0: Okay, well, one league I play in, again, the entry's $350. It's called the Football Guys Fantasy Football Players Championship. The grand prize is actually $500,000. And there are all sorts of people that are in it. You're not just in a 12-person league. You are, but there's this big tournament at the end and one winner gets $500,000.
1: Okay, that's pretty insane,
0: especially for a fantasy sports prize, right? It is it is. And you know, I talked to somebody who helped really shape this whole high stakes fantasy sports market, Eric Balkman. He runs the fantasy football players championship. He also co hosts a high stakes fantasy football podcast. Eric tells me more about his experience with fantasy sports right here.
2: I started playing fantasy football myself with a couple of friends from high school, which would have been, uh, I think we started playing sophomore year. So I guess that would have been 1990, 90, 96, no, 95 fall in 95 was the first year I played and I started playing, um, high stakes, I guess in 2002, 2003, the, the first year of the world championship of fantasy football with, um, a couple of, a uh, couple of friends. And then, uh, I uh, I guess I, I've been sort of playing uh, at that level, um, you know, as long as I could have until, you know, legislation has prevented me from playing in other contests since I'm, you know, I work for a, a contest operator.
0: Legislation? Yes, legislation. You know, fantasy sports as a profession, it's really started to see its fair share of legislation, and we're going to dig in on this a little bit more later. But I asked Eric to talk a little bit about how high stakes fantasy sports could actually get
2: our varsity is a, a $3,000 entry fee our big payback leagues are $5,000 entry fees uh and then our our sort of upper echelon the the creme de la creme uh, as it were is our high society league which is a, a $10,000 buy-in but you know I I'm I mean there's stories out there of, of people you know wanting to do um you know 20 25 50,000 100,000 million dollar buy-ins you know I know that um Uh, Jay Z uh, runs a league, uh, out of New York. I actually, I I shouldn't say he runs it. I know he's in it, uh, with a bunch of his friends and, and I, I don't know how much the entry fee is in that, but I know the side action, uh, that gets going when they have their draft every year, uh, gets really up there, uh, you know, into six, seven figures.
1: Now. I've been a part of some epic fantasy football drafts. But going head-to-head against Jay-Z with some seven-figure side bets going on?
0: Yeah, that's next level. That I definitely have not been involved in any fantasy football <laughs> leagues where that's going on. And, you know, the stakes, they don't get quite that high with the fantasy football players championship. Um, You could enter some tournaments for as little as a few dollars, actually. But some of those jockpots, again, they could get hundreds of thousands of dollars and... Eric goes on to tell a couple of high-stakes stories that he can remember right here.
2: We actually had an Olympian uh, from New Zealand who was flying, so I think he was flying out of Los Angeles, and he, um, Adrian Blinko was his name, he's a distance runner for New Zealand, and he he decided to jump into one of the, the football guy's drafts uh, uh, while he was on this, this flight um, from, from Los Angeles to New Zealand, and it was the last draft we offered that year, and he didn't win it all, but he ended up getting fourth place out of, you know, like 7,000 teams. So he won a five-figure prize. We had a guy, uh, you know, I, I facilitate um, a lot of our high-stakes drafts that, that we offer online. And we had a guy, uh, Rick Schwartz, who actually used to uh, work for Yahoo and covered uh, fantasy football for them. He was actually drafting on a beach in Hawaii when he was on vacation while there was hurricane warnings. And he was losing power and he was losing internet. So he was calling me and I had to make picks for him uh, over the phone. But, you know, even with a, with the hurricane warning, he wanted to, to stick out that draft. And I don't think he ended up making, uh, the, his, his league playoffs with that team. But I can tell you that after week one of the season, he put up the top score of anybody, uh, in the whole, uh, competition. And then we had, um, uh, Joe and Jason, uh, Reither who, who won our main event a few years ago. They won, um, you know, they paid $40 for a buy-in, uh, to a league. And then they won that. And then, uh, they could have chosen cash or, or a prize to our football guys players championship uh, competition. They chose that the entry fee instead. They won that uh, that year. And then the following year, they instead of taking the cash prize, they uh, entered the main event instead with their winnings and then won the main event. So, you know, for a forty dollar uh, entry fee uh, two or three years before that, they ended up uh, cashing two hundred thousand dollars for for winning the main event. It's just the, the stories can go on and on of the crazy stuff that's happened.
1: Turning $40 into 200000 Yeah, I take that any day. <laughs> of course, that's not the norm.
0: Most people don't win those prizes. In fact, most people play you know, knowing full well that the likelihood of achieving that top spot is you know, probably as likely as my favorite team, the Cleveland Browns, turning things around this year and winning the Super Bowl. Um, but I will say my buddy Mo, you know, he's here in Cleveland, actually the the house I live in when I moved in, you know, Mo lived right next door. And I told him about this fantasy football players championship tournament and you know, all these years I've been playing in it. And he finally joined it this year, he and a buddy. And after five weeks, his team out of the 15,000 participants they were in first place. And he actually got invited onto Eric's podcast to talk about how great of a season his team was having just a couple weeks ago. And
1: uh, Mo's still in first place?
0: He's not, he's not, but he's still in the top 40 out of, again, 15,000 teams. So he's definitely in the hunt. And if he can finish back at the top, He and his co-GM will split a half-million-dollar prize, which is just crazy. That's insane.
1: Okay, well, definitely sending good vibes to Mo, right? I think he's going to need them as we enter the back half of the season. (laughs) But we're talking about how there's all this money in fantasy football. But usually when there's money in something, there's a group of people who are kind of clamoring to get involved somehow right a group of people yeah like any guesses as to what that group of people would be that i'm talking about
0: uh, uh i don't know my mind's kind of i i don't know I'm wrecking my brain i don't i don't know who you're referring to michael venture
1: capitalists of, who else of course
0: of course venture capitalists those, those vcs are always looking for <laughs> ways to get in on everything and scale it up aren't they they sure are right
1: and we'll get into more of that after a quick break That's business.att.com.
0: All right. Before the break, we were starting to talk about how just these past few years, we've seen a whole new crop of venture-backed startups emerge and create an entirely new form of fantasy football, daily fantasy sports. Okay, remind me again how that all works? Yeah. So again, the concept of daily fantasy sports is pretty simple. Rather than deal with the commitment that a year-long sports league requires, you commit week by week. Uh, If you feel like playing fantasy sports this week, just pick a game, pick your entry fee. With a set amount of budget, you could choose your players. And there's different formats for daily fantasy sports. You could have a one-on-one matchup where, you know, two people enter, one person wins the pot. Or you can enter leagues where you're competing with maybe dozens, hundreds, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people or more um, at one time. Especially with those big leagues, the prize pool can get large. Again, even if you have a dollar entry fee and there's 100,000 participants, that top prize might be ten, twenty thousand dollars. And so, uh, you know, for a pool of a hundred thousand entrants, fewer than ten percent though usually take home any cash. So that means ninety thousand people would be losing everything. And only the people at the very, very top will
1: cash out big. Huh. And so you're saying it was FanDuel and DraftKings that kinda pioneered all this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely several companies, probably even a couple dozen companies that are in daily fantasy sports at this point. But but really, FanDuel and DraftKings, they're, they're the big ones. And I actually had a chance to talk to Matt Kalish, a co-founder of DraftKings. Now, he's the person that's known, at least internally at DraftKings, as the game master. It's actually Matt who is behind all the different kinds of games that were created to play at DraftKings, everything from their millionaire maker style tournaments to even some of the smaller leagues. And Matt shared with me how he and the DraftKings team got started.
3: I met Jason and Paul, my two co-founders in corporate America. I met um, Jason at Capital One uh, pretty early on in my career. Uh, we were both in business analytics. And then I met Paul a little later on at a company called Vistaprint. And all of us were from you know very quantitative analytics backgrounds, we were competitive, and you know, from a career standpoint, but also had a lot of shared interests. And uh, I think all of us were very interested in the idea of coming up with a, you know, a startup that we could do. And we all loved fantasy sports, and we thought one of the big things that a lot of the players looked for was kind of more instant gratification. And it was kind of tough to come by with the season-long models. You know, a lot of the time it feels like a long slog to get through the whole season, and. There's not a lot of interim wins or interim steps along the way that make you feel good all the time. So, we started discussing like what are some different ways that it could be set up or could work that would give more of the instant gratification of people putting in all the time and effort to manage their teams. And uh, ultimately, we landed on DraftKings after a lot of time and work.
1: And DraftKings started this whole DFS craze. Well, DraftKings wasn't technically the first uh, when Matt
0: and his team got started in 2012. FanDuel had already existed and and was beginning to win over players. Um, I I was one of them. I I think I started playing FanDuel games around that point and sort of got my first taste of daily fantasy sports back in 2010. But DraftKings was really the first to get a professional sports league to actually invest in it. And Matt talks a little bit about this, as well as how at the time he and his team were on the heels of really blowing things up right here.
3: I think early on, we didn't really know how mainstream what we've built could be. You know, we knew a lot of our friends. We know us personally and our friends and, you know, competitive people and people who love fantasy. You know, a lot of them that we talked to tended to think we were onto an interesting idea, but I don't think we really had the uh, validation until probably uh, when we did the partnership with Major League Baseball. It was a major, I think, moment for us where we realized you know, we kind of walked in to meet with some executives from Major League Baseball, and we thought that they would have no idea what we were doing, and you know, it would be this many months long sales process to try to educate them. And you know, sort of walked in, and right away they uh, they kind of asked, you know, do you guys want to do a marketing deal? We, we said yes, we did. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that they even knew who we were was kind of amazing at that time, and then. Pretty soon thereafter, I think things like you know getting stocks as a major investor, raising capital rounds that were nine figures—it was kind of mind blowing the whole time. Where you know we had only been in business for a couple of years, and you know people want to invest these massive sums of money in your company. It's very exciting, and I think uh, amazing in some ways. Uh it's kind of hard to get your head around.
1: Pretty sweet to get major league baseball investing just a year after its launch. And after that, there were nine figure investment rounds to follow for both DraftKings and FanDuel. Yeah. Some who follow Fantasy
0: Sports Tech would say that those two companies sort of got into an arm race of sorts. The goal was to win over as many new users as possible. And that race, it almost seemed personal. I mean, the two companies weren't just competitors. It came across as bitter rivals. The amount of money spent on advertising at that time was just crazy.
1: Oh, yeah, I totally remember some of those commercials. Pete Jennings won over
0: two million bucks playing fantasy sports at DraftKings.com. He's off living the high life right now, but we've got the next best thing puppets. Hi, I'm Pete Jennings. I won over two million bucks thanks to DraftKings.com. And now
1: I've got all this money.
0: Well hey, some of them were better than others, uh, but there's no doubt that those companies brought daily fantasy sports into the mainstream, getting people to talk about it who normally wouldn't talk about fantasy sports. Right, people
1: like, well, even John Oliver. Daily fantasy sports, the most addictive thing you can do on your phone
0: other than perhaps cocaine. (laughs) Yes. Daily fantasy sports combine everything
3: dudes love. Sport, money, and a lack of commitment. Yeah,
0: that was a gem from John Oliver on HBO's Last Week Tonight uh, from a few years back. And, And while it's in jest, I mean, his criticism isn't an outlier. Despite FanDuel and DraftKings meteoric rise just a few years ago, these companies drew in millions of users, but not without loads of advertising and soon the close watch of government regulators who thought these games looked an awful lot like gambling. Okay,
1: so is DFS like daily fantasy sports actually gambling? That and more after a quick break. Before the break, we were talking
0: about the business of fantasy sports and the rise of daily fantasy sports. And and you asked the question, is fantasy sports gambling? Yeah, so what do you think, Mike? Is it gambling? Well, before I weigh in, why don't we ask Broadway Joe? <laughs> this is a clip from CNBC, and it's of the NFL Hall of Famer Joe Namath with his take and whether daily fantasy sports should be considered gambling
2: do you feel like it's gambling is that what you do anything to play <laughs> i think
3: you have to pay and do they win something they do it's gambling
1: okay so joe
0: namath he thinks it's gambling he does of course it's not really up to broadway joe whether or not dfs should be considered <laughs> gambling but it's obviously a fair question and it's one that was very relevant to the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act of 2006. Wait, the same one that shuttered online poker? Yes, that's exactly it. But actually, this act at first sort of helped fantasy sports. It called out fantasy sports specifically as a game of skill. Nevertheless... The more and more popular that DraftKings and FanDuel got, the more closely government regulators watched and sort of questioned whether that was actually the right thing to do.
1: In many states, they started banning daily fantasy sports platforms like DraftKings and FanDuel overnight. New York was a big blow to the industry when they started banning daily fantasy sports platforms, or rather, confirming that those platforms violated their gambling laws that were already in place, and other states started to follow suit. Yes. So, both FanDuel's and DraftKings, they started... Sort of ended up
0: teaming up in a way, at least as it relates to their lobbying efforts, Um, which makes sense. They're both being challenged, but they were such fierce, bitter rivals that any sort of partnership
1: seemed like a big deal. But here they were sort of partnering up on lobbying efforts. Imagine if Uber and Lyft, they actually formed a partnership and played nice together. Yeah, Yeah, it would be kind of crazy, right? But that's exactly what happened with
0: DraftKings and FanDuel. And eventually, that lobbying partnership ended up becoming much more. In November of 2016, both FanDuel and DraftKings announced their intention to merge. Both were spending hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising to compete with one another. And with that, combined with the extra forces both were feeling in their fight with regulators, a deal like this seemed like it was almost inevitable. Here's a segment from Wall Street Journal back in 2016.
4: Fantasy sports operators FanDuel and DraftKings are in talks to merge. The potential deal would result in a single company controlling more than 95% of the daily fantasy sports industry. The deal between the two whose valuation each topped $1 billion last year would also mark the union of two companies that have been in a tug of war with state lawmakers and attorneys general
0: wide receiver. I'm looking at Brandon Cooks for 7,600. Cooks has put up at least 100 yards and a touchdown.
4: In daily fantasy sports, customers draft virtual teams of professional athletes in daily and weekly online contests and compete against each other based on the athletes' real-world performances. Several states have joined New York in banning the companies from operating paid contests after determining daily fantasy sports games amount to illegal online gambling and not games of skill. New York's attorney general has said daily fantasy sports constitute gambling because players are, quote, placing bets on events outside their control or influence.
1: But those plans, they were eventually scrapped. A federal judge stepped in before the deal could be finalized due to the potential monopoly that would result. Fox Business talks a bit more about the halt here. Welcome back. FanDuel and DraftKings abruptly calling off their merger, their mega-merger,
0: amid mounting pressure from regulators. DraftKings CEO announcing the termination in a statement reading this, in part... We believe it is in the best interest of our customers, employees, and investors to terminate our agreement to merge with FanDuel and move forward as a separate company. In full disclosure, our parent company, 21st Century Fox, is an investor in DraftKings. we want to bring in the Brewer Group
1: CEO and former NFL star, Jack Brewer. Jack, great to see you.
3: Great to see you as so well. So the
1: FTC had denounced this merger because it would create a company that would have controlled 90%, more than
0: 90%, of the U.S. market for uh, paid fantasy sports. Obviously, it wasn't going to happen.
2: No, and it it would be bad for the sport. You know, fantasy sports has really changed uh, the whole landscape uh, in professional sports, not just football, but basketball, baseball as well. These teams have, you know, doubled and sometimes tripled uh, their overall valuations just based on the participation of uh, fantasy sports. You have almost 20% of the population in the U.S. that participate every year in fantasy sports. That's a big chunk, and you're talking about something that's been around for about five or
0: six years. So those plans were scrapped. Those companies ended up staying independent. But they did continue to fight. And sure enough, many of those states that at one time banned daily
1: fantasy sports, they finally came around, including New York. Although it wasn't so much that the states were finally coming around to fantasy sports, but more that they started to allow sports betting altogether. And FanDuel, DraftKings, they started going deeper into sports betting to the point where now you can not only draft your fantasy team on FanDuel, but you can actually make straight up bets on your teams. Right. So
0: if you want to put 20 bucks on the Bears game or or bet $10 that Kyler Murray will rack up 250 passing yards in a game... Well, you could do that on a sportsbook version
1: of FanDuel, DraftKings, and other platforms. The transition from fantasy sports to sports betting was uh, pretty seamless, actually. And it's probably a good reminder that Broadway Joe, Joe Namath, he was probably right. <laughs> like, all of these legal, theoretical questions of whether fantasy sports is actually gambling, well, let's face it, it is, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's probably safe to call fantasy sports gambling, but... I do think fantasy sports is much more than that. How so? Well, for a lot of people, maybe even most people that are playing in it, it's an escape. You know, for for getting the money part of it, because honestly, some of the longest running leagues that I'm in, they're leagues with people that I've played fantasy football with for over 10 years. I mean, the entry fee's $20 with all the time that each of us spend on research and texting each other (laughs) trade offers and communicating with other fantasy experts on twitter listening to podcasts it's definitely not about winning that prize pot of what 200 bucks at the end of the year
1: yeah that definitely right um it's not a very efficient use of time if it was only about the money exactly exactly i mean for me
0: fantasy sports it is that guilty pleasure. It's it's that escape that I mentioned, but it's also community. I mean, I've made friends from playing fantasy sports over the past decade or so that I wouldn't have made otherwise. And it's, you know, it's an interesting challenge, you know, especially those dynasty leagues that I play in. I mean, sometimes you have to completely rebuild your roster after players have gotten to a certain age, right? And it's just kind of fun to do that, right? It's like the Sims, but for football, and it's real life, and I get, to, I get to kind of play with my friends still. So, yeah, for me, fantasy football is fun, whether I end up winning the league or
1: not. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there, too, who feel the same way. I, I think so. I think so. But,
0: you know, I do want to point out I have won many, many fantasy football championships. So even though it is about fun, I do love the competition. I do love winning. But I, I would say I'd be dropping the ball if I didn't point out that there probably are Also, lots of people that, you know, fantasy sports for them, um, whether it's regular fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, it could be a problem because like Joe Namath said, it is gambling and there are absolutely people out there who have gambling problems and and those are really serious issues. So before we do wrap up today's episode, I do want to specifically offer up something for anybody out there who feels like fantasy sports or sports gambling is a real issue there is the National Problem Gambling Helpline, and it's available 24-7. It's 100% confidential. Um, you could reach it at 1-800-522-4700. Uh, the hotline connects callers to local health and government organizations that can assist with their gambling addiction. Uh, I'm going to give that number one more time for anybody where it is an issue for you. Um, that number is 1-800-522-4700.
1: If fantasy sports or sports gambling is an issue for you, call that number. The resources out there to help. But, you know, this will really wrap up today's
0: episode here. I hope everybody enjoyed this little diversion into the business of fantasy sports. We have more episodes coming right up, though. So for Michael
1: Sokka, I'm Mike Belcito, and this is Rocketship.FM. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. This episode was mixed and mastered by Court Deans.
0: Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.